Well, a few things before we get started. Um, my name's Ryan. I'm the pastor here. It's good to see you. If you're new, thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. We hope you find a community that is loving and really is thankful that Jesus has died for sinners because there are many of us here. Uh, VBS is coming up, and we need some help with some supplies. So out there, you see on the window there, there's a bunch of kind of note cards. You can take one and buy whatever is on there, okay? And that would really help supply things for VBS. VBS is a great time not only for our church community to um, grow in the gospel, to teach these little ones about how they're wretched sinners and need Jesus, and uh, how he has come to provide for them. And also, it's a great time for us to invite our friends and neighbors, and you'll see people from, you know, neighborhoods around and the community who don't go to church here. What a great way for us to, to begin to, to build a relationship with them. Uh, so that's a, a, a great time as well. So if you can help by purchasing some things or come and volunteer your time, that would be great. Uh, it's during the day, so if, if you are able to do that, that would be great. I know uh, some of you moms or, or those maybe who are stay home with the kids during the day, it's like, that's a perfect time to have some free time. I get it. I get it. If you can volunteer at all, we would, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, I've also been doing this thing called a Sunday recap, and that is just a document that kind of goes back over what we've done on Sunday in our time together. So the readings that we go through will be on there, the uh, a kind of brief overview of the sermon, the songs we sang with links to those songs, all on there. So that comes in the weekly email. If you don't get that weekly email, then let us know, and we'll make sure you get on that. But it can be a helpful thing, I'm hoping, to kind of keep us kind of meditating and thinking through the things that we heard. And so if you think, that prayer of confession was really good last week. I can't remember what it was, though. Well, you have it, and you can take it and pray it next week as well. So hopefully that's helpful to you. If it's not, uh, just smile and nod, I suppose. Well, we've been starting with a sermon summary. So if you're new, we've been starting with this sermon summary that kind of gives us a, a framework, uh, kind of a thesis for the sermon. So let's, let's start with that. Here's the sermon summary for today. Divine love is one-way love. Divine love is one-way love. Now here's Jesus in his last section on discussing the law. So this is the end of chapter 5 on his Sermon on the Mount, and this is the last time he's going to do the, you have heard it was said, and now I say. And he's going to move on from here, and it's going to go a little bit different direction from here, which you'll have to come back next week to hear where he goes with it. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different direction than, than where he is. So here, he's going to end with that comment that's been haunting all of us in verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he wraps up that section and moves on to the next. So, divine love is a one-way love. Let's look at this the same way we have the other, other sections, and that is, let's look at, okay, what did the law actually say? So when Jesus says, you have heard it was said, what was the original law in the Old Testament? And then how were the religious leaders of the time taking that and kind of twisting it a bit and making it different? And then finally, what is Jesus actually saying about this commandment or law. So let's start with what did the law actually say. If we go back to Leviticus 19, we read this, Leviticus 19, 17, and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
And notice in there, it doesn't say anything about hating anyone. It simply says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why in the world would this instruction be needed in the first place? Well, if you're familiar with these things called human beings, you might understand why an instruction like love your neighbor might be necessary. If you're familiar with these little people that come along and the way they start acting as soon as they pretty much are able to, they're so cute, but you can tell that you didn't have to teach them about being selfish, you didn't have to teach them about to protect their own stuff and watch out for themselves. You never had to teach them that. They just come out doing that. It's not just them, right? Teenagers have this issue as well, especially teenage girls. Just kidding. Not really, but sort of. Um, Okay, so even us older, I mean a little bit older folks have that as well, right? Um, I know in my house they know dad can get quite grumpy when he doesn't get his way, and so I have this problem. Um, All of us have this problem. Even you grandparents, I know you think you're so loving, but it really feels like you're getting back at us, you know? (laughs) Like, have some sugar and cake and things. I'm leaving now. I love your children. No, you hate me. Stop. So we all need this instruction Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very much needed. We are born bad. It's just not in our inclination to love our neighbor as ourself all the time. It's not always intentional. I have this sometimes at our house with the kids where one of them will hurt one of the others, and they'll say, I, I really didn't mean to, Dad. And I believe them. They, they really, it was an intentional thing. And so we get to have the discussion, do you see how even when you're not trying to, you just automatically kind of think of yourself and hurt other people? Do you see how that is? Do you see the huge need you have for Jesus? Because you can't even, even when you're not trying to be mean, not trying to think of yourself, it's just happening. You see the need for that. You know, this happened when we were looking for a house, and I saw there was many houses around with three-car garages, and I was like, Three-car garage, that would be great, Kate. I'd love a a house with a three-car garage. And she's like, oh, so we can store the kids' things on one side? And I was like, who? Who's, what? No. So I can get workout equipment and have a gym in my garage, you know? I wasn't thinking of anyone besides myself. I didn't try to. It It just sort of happens. So this is instructions that all of us need, and God brought it very early back in Leviticus. In in chapter 19, it starts with this instruction. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so he's giving these instructions, saying, Okay, listen, community of people, Israel, here's how you're to act within that community. Here's how you're supposed to treat one another in that community. Okay, Love one another as you love yourself. It sounds a lot like verse 48, doesn't it? You, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It rings a lot like that. So that's what the law is stating. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what were the scribes and Pharisees, the religious teachers of that day, what were they doing with this? Well, they were taking the positive command and sort of adding a negative piece to it that wasn't there. In other words, okay, so if in our community we're supposed to love one another, 
what are we supposed to do to those outside of our community? I know we should hate them. That's what we should do. That's the opposite side of, of that command. So love those within the community. Yes, God, we get that. And then those outside of our community, those who are our enemies, let's, we should righteously sort of hate them. That was never there in the text, but that's something they added. And what they're doing is sort of narrowing down who is my neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they say, all right, who's my neighbor? Well, let's see. I think it's everyone who agrees with me and is nice to me and likes me. That's my neighbor. And then the other people who aren't my neighbor, I can hate. And I'm still obeying the command, love your neighbor, because I'm loving these people who are my neighbor. And I can then hate these and still be obedient to the law. That's the kind of thing that they're doing. It's really interesting that they missed Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. Quite convenient. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, when a, sojourn, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So you see right there he's saying, your neighbor, I'm not just talking about everyone inside the community, I'm talking about everyone, everyone. They conveniently sort of push that to the side. You might say what they're doing is relaxing the law, as was said earlier in chapter 5, verse 19. They're relaxing the law and teaching it to other people. You can hate other people as long as it's not your neighbor, the people inside of our community. That's what the law says. This is how they've kind of mangled it and changed it a little bit. And now what does uh, our Jesus teach about this? He continues in 44 through 48. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain to the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so what he's trying to say to the scribes and Pharisees and leaders, you know, religious leaders and whoever else is listening is you can't meet the demand of the law in the area of love. You can't do it. That's what he, he's trying to get across from you. The love that the law requires, will, you will not be able to reach it. Isn't it interesting how sort of liberal Jesus is? Relax. How liberal Jesus is with the word neighbor. You see that? It's like, what is, this guy thinks neighbor includes everyone. He even included enemies in underneath the heading neighbors, didn't he? He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he's taking it way to another level. He's not just saying be kind to those or don't strike back like he said before. He's going even further to say, no, actively love your enemies as you love yourself. And those are neighbors. 
Jesus had a conversation in the book of Luke with someone who was doing this same sort of thing, trying to narrow this idea of neighbor down. And uh, it goes like this in Luke chapter 10. But he, desiring to justify himself, this man talking to Jesus, says, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, he replies with a story as always, A man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, to the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. There's a lot of things that we could say about that story right there with Jesus, but I just want us to note two things. Number one, neighbor includes an enemy because this was apparently a Jewish person that was in the rut and a Samaritan, and those were not friends. Uh, the, The Samaritan comes and helps. And so... Underneath that understanding of who is my neighbor, Jesus is saying, even your enemies are your neighbor. And then secondly, you see this picture of one-way love described here. This idea of one-way love, because this guy's not getting paid back. He's not going to get anything in return for helping the person in the ditch. It's one-way love. A a guy named Paul Zoll says, uh, a writer and and pastor, he says that grace is one-way love that depends on nothing that you bring to the table. Nothing that you bring to the table. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Like the hymn, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It's not built on the recipient's actions. It's not built on the recipient's response. It's not about what they might do in the future. It's not a promise of what they will do. It's not their ability to change after you do something for them, after you love them. It's almost like all of that is ignored, like it doesn't matter at all. The response from the recipient is not really even considered. Divine love, our sermon summary, divine love is one-way love. Now remember, what Jesus is doing, he is correcting the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. And so he's saying uh, to all of us as well and everybody else there, hey, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So your love must exceed that of the love of the scribes and Pharisees. And you're thinking, all right, how much must it exceed? It must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I want to go through and just kind of say, all right, this divine love, this perfect love, what describes it? And I have eight things that describe this. There's probably 50 more. But I I came up with at least eight that describes this sort of perfect 
one-way divine love. So first, it's unattainable. You can't accomplish this love on your own effort. That was one of the messages of Jesus right here. You can't get to it. You can't say, all right, I'm going to start being a divine lover tomorrow. I'm going I'm to engage in that sort of divine love tomorrow and, and accomplish it for the rest of your life. You won't be able to do it. It's not for a lack of diligence. It's not to, to tell you not to be diligent. Be diligent. But just realize you're not going to be able to get to the perfect love yourself. You're not going to be able to earn it. You're not going to be able to reach it in your own efforts. We just have this get-what-you-deserve kind of inside of us. And it's just, it's just born in there, and it's wrapped up in our DNA, like we've said before. It's just in there, and we can't help it from coming out. And it really makes us uncomfortable to try to talk about a love that isn't a, you know, kind of fair and balanced or, or sort of payment-for-payment payment type thing. You can't work towards this kind of love. You only receive it. You can't attain it. You only receive it. It's one-way love. It's directed towards you, towards us. We receive it, and then the crazy part is, is when we receive it, it comes alive in us because Jesus' presence, his spirit is in us. And now all of a sudden, like we talked about last time with self-sacrifice, we start to see this love bubbling over in us. And we don't say, see, I knew I'd do it. I knew I would, you know, work hard enough to have this love. We say, Jesus, I can't believe you've taken up residence in here, but I see you. And so people say, do you believe in the resurrection? You're like, yes. Why? Because we've got a community that loves each other, and that's bizarre. If you knew the people in our community, it's bizarre. Because we're all selfish people, but all of a sudden, we're starting to see love for each other come out. It's crazy. It must be the resurrected Christ that lives amongst us. That's the only explanation for such a thing. The only explanation. Secondly, it's immovable. It doesn't change. It doesn't change at all in the least bit. It's already directed at enemies. So you can't get any worse than that. Do you know what I mean? If it's already directed at enemies, how can you make another mistake to get worse and lose it? It's already directed at at the least of these, at the enemies, at those who have rejected it. It's immovable. It doesn't change based on the recipient. recipient. It's one-way love from God. It loves its enemies, and it's not going to change if you get worse. You're already enemies. Scribes and Pharisees, love was a two-way street, wasn't it? Love those who love you, hate those who don't, don't love you. Praise God, that's not divine love, or we'd all be in trouble. God's love, divine love, is a one-way love directed towards those who are enemies, born separated from him, like us. Third, it's, it's quite irresponsible, this love. It doesn't require anything of the recipient. Isn't that kind of irresponsible. If you're going to dole out this type of love, don't you want some sort of commitment on the front end? You know, like, all right, I'll give you this love, never-ending, never-changing love, but you've got to promise me these four things. It's quite irresponsible. It doesn't require anything of the recipient. It's one-way love. 
Verse 46 and 47, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now, yikes. Tax collectors, like the bottom feeders of the earth at this time. And Jesus is saying, even those people do that. It's hard to hear with our ears, but imagine saying something like, love those who, who love you. Even child molesters do that. Now do you hear that? Now do you hear how repulsive that is? That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Look, anyone does that, just loves people who love them. That's nothing special at all. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Again, Gentiles? We're God's people. And you're talking about Gentiles? Doing the same as us or doing better than us? It's a real punch to the gut doesn't require anything from the recipient. God has always been like this. Look at this passage from Deuteronomy 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. In other words, it wasn't because you were some special sect of people. For you were the fewest of all people, the weakest But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping an oath that he swore to to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. And keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. God is saying, I didn't love you because you're, you're, you're great or you're lovable or you did something special. I've set my love upon you because I set my love upon you. I love you because I set my love upon you. I don't recommend that in marriage. Like, I love you just because I love you. It has nothing to do with you. I wouldn't recommend that. But nonetheless, when we're talking about God's love, do you see, it's, it's not because of you. This is a one-way love. Israel, you, you weren't the best. You weren't the most spiritual. You weren't the most obedient. I set my love upon you because I set my love upon you. And I'm a faithful God who's going to keep his covenant to you. That's why I did it. Brennan Manning has a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And in it he says this, The love of our God isn't dignified at all. And apparently, that's the way he expects our love to be as well. He's saying it just goes down to the lowest, to the least of these, this love. It gives everything and it requires nothing. It's quite irresponsible. Fourth, it's illogical. When he says in verse 45 in our text, you see, so you may be sons of the Father, so that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on evil, on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Well, that doesn't make sense. Seems like you would only send rain to those who deserve it and only give the sun to those who deserve it. That would make sense. This is quite illogical. You're giving the same thing to both people no matter how they act. And no matter who they are, that doesn't make any sense. This is a one-way love. Quite illogical. It doesn't just bless those who are worthy. It blesses all. And so even the um, person who doesn't believe in God, hates God, you know, his crops would still grow just the same as the others. He'd get rain. He'd get sun. He'd get family, he'd get love, he'd get blessing. 
They get all those things. It's quite illogical, this love. Number five, it's unfair. It's not for those who deserve it. Not at all for those who deserve it. It's not only for those who deserve it. It's for all. And it's probably most specifically directed at kind of the, those in the beginning of chapter 5. The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The meek. The lowly. Those who have nothing else. It's the losers who are brought near. It's the broken who are made whole. It's the wretched who are welcomed in with this love. Six, it's, it's unresponsive. And what I mean is, 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 is it's not a, a response to something. It's one-way love. It's not a response to someone's goodness. It's not a response to someone's agreement. It's a one-way love that depends on the giver, not the recipient. And so it's unresponsive in that regard. Seven, it's active love. In verse 44, Jesus won't allow us to just say, or here, love your enemy and just think, I should be more nice to people, or I shouldn't say things sometimes. He's saying, no, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about that. I'm going further. I'm going to say that this is an active love. I'm saying, pray for those who persecute you. Not just don't retaliate, not just hold back, but it goes miles past that to actually desire the welfare of those who want nothing but your destruction. Luke 23, 34 through 35. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. This is, this is the picture, isn't it? Of active love. Of, of one-way love. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is when Jesus is hanging on a cross, dying, and people are mocking him. He doesn't just say nothing. He goes to the Father. He says, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. So when you read in Leviticus and you read about this love and you think, where was that love fulfilled? Go to Luke 23 and say, that's where it was fulfilled. Right there. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching, but their rulers scoffed at him. There they go. He can save others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the God, the chosen one. Forgive them, Father. He prays for them in the midst of their cursing him. Lastly, and most beautifully, this love is a resurrecting love. It's the only thing that has the power to raise the dead. The law can't get rid of evil. It never could. It only mocks and condemns us. But this love, this love resurrects us. This love gives us new life where the law only showed us further our death. It's a perfect love and it it captures our hearts and it does something to us. To hear the words, you're loved and forgiven, even in the midst of your sin, that does something. Paul's all again says this, Grace is one-way love. Take an inventory of yourself. Watch other people about whose happiness you care. You will see it over and over. One-way love lifts up. One-way love cures. One-way love transforms. 
It's the change agent of life. Where does he get that idea? Straight from the gospel. Straight from God's love towards us. It requires nothing and gives everything to us. This is one-way love. Can you believe that? It's unbelievable. Man, that's just that's the greatest news we could ever hear. Why would you ever, why would anyone ever reject this type of love and say, no, thanks, I'm good? The only reason that would happen is if you feel like you don't need it. Because anyone who is, earlier in chapter 5, poor in spirit, a mourner, meek, someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because they know they have none of their own to bring to the table, it's only those people who are going to say, yes, I'll take it, one-way love, that doesn't, that doesn't deter, it's not determined about anything I do. I'm in. I'll take that. So don't reject the love of God today. You desperately need it. And he's providing it for us. Divine love awaits us. If you're poor in spirit, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you've really blown it, if you're a sinner and a scoundrel, if you've, you've done things you don't want to admit to anyone, or if you've just burnt out on doing good and found you can't make yourself good enough, welcome. Divine love is here for you. But I want to warn you, it is 200 proof. Once you get a taste of it, you won't be able to turn back. You know, It'll take hold of you as soon as you do. And you'll be addicted to it. And you'll take those filthy rags of your good deeds that you've been carrying around and presenting to God and you'll drop those and forget all about them. And you'll run towards the Savior and his nail-scarred hands and just fall at his feet and thank him for his grace and for his love to people like us. Isn't Jesus wonderful? What a beautiful Savior. Let's pray together. God, we can't even fathom it. I've Some of us have been thinking about this divine love, been thinking about the gospel for decades. And still, we feel like we haven't really grasped it. But we're so thankful for it. Uh, So continue to work it deep in our hearts, and maybe in the next couple decades, perhaps we'll we'll have a, a better grasp of it. We're thankful for your one-way one love towards us and pray that you would do a work here to continue to, to live through us and to love through us, to love one another here, to love our neighbors and, and those around us, our coworkers, our family members, those who don't know Jesus. Give us that same type of divine love that you have for them. We, it's, we don't know how you're going to do it, but we desperately need help. So please do that in us as you continue to mold our hearts towards you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.